Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing very well. Today on the show, we have a certified TikTok star, Morgan McGarvey. Uh, he is the Senate Democratic leader, and uh, you know, I guess probably the main character of the Senate Democrats uh, TikTok account, the Kentucky Senate Democrats TikTok account that uh, has what did he say, like 125,000 followers? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. And I think you were you pointed this out to me. I knew that it existed, but you pointed out that they have a couple of videos that have like millions of views. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing that's been going on if you haven't been paying attention to it. We talked to him a little bit about that, but we also talked to him about the Senate Democrats' ability to influence legislation in the recent special session, what he's looking forward to and not looking forward to in the general session that's coming up here in early 2022, and a little bit about elections and election strategy for Senate Democrats as we move forward into elections next year. So that was a good conversation. Always enjoy speaking to my neighbor, Morgan McGarvey. What did you what did you take away from it, Jasmine? I thought it was a really good conversation. And it, w- it was interesting to hear about the Kentucky Senate Democrat TikTok. <laughs> you know, we, we don't get to talk about that a lot on the podcast. No, and we did learn the name of the person who like, you know, finds the memes. So, yeah. Uh, good good for Piper, I think was her name. So yes, good, mm-hmm. good for her. Good for her. Uh, we, I'm happy for you and I'm proud of you. That, I don't know you, but uh, I, I like <laughs> you. Uh, all right. Uh, on, the regu- on, the, on the first part of the show, though, we have lots of things to talk about. There are two really big economic development stories that are going on. And I think one's bad news and one's good news. And we're going to give you the bad news first. It's about uh, Unity Aluminum uh, that was once upon a time called Brady Industries. There's an update on that story that has been going on this week. But then there's some very, very good news. Uh, Ford is building a huge battery plant in Kentucky down in Hardin County. That was the mystery economic development project. So Jasmine's going to be talking to us about that. And we're going to be giving a COVID update. So without any further ado, let's get into Unity Aluminum. Ah, Jasmine, when was the last time we talked about Brady Industries? I don't remember. The last time we talked about them? Yeah. Probably a few months ago. I don't even remember the name change, though. Yeah, so that that did happen. I think I talked about it, them changing their name. But then I re- was reminded because they they still have that office space right in the middle of downtown Ashland. And I was going to lunch there a couple of months ago and I saw like these parking spots. They have like reserved parking spots for Unity Aluminum. And I knew that those spaces had been for Brady Industries. So that's how I was reminded. They're parking signs. So anyways, uh, they, in case you need a reminder, and I'm sure you do because it's been a while since we talked about this. Yeah, and we do a lot of shows. We do. We do a lot of shows. Week. And Kentucky politics, a lot a lot happens from week to week. We'll, we'll remind you. So back in 2017, this is the year after the GOP took full, full control of the Kentucky legislature. They passed a bill with bipartisan support, like almost everybody voted for it. And that bill gave $15 million to a then unknown economic development project. And it turned out that that project was a man named Craig Bouchard who wanted to build a $1.7 billion aluminum rolling mill near Ashland, Kentucky. So that's up in northeastern Kentucky. It's on the river. Very handy for them trying to, to move aluminum down the river, that kind of stuff. That's why they put it there. As the deal kind of progressed, many people started asking questions about Bouchard. Again, we didn't know anything about him when the bill was being passed. We learned about him as like time progressed. But we learned a lot about his former deals, and a lot of them went sour. A lot of people were like, wow, this guy kind of looks like a shyster. We kind of picked up on that pretty quickly. 
Bouchard, though, expressed confidence, and he promised his funding was on track. Ashland is a place, uh, AK Steel, where my, my dad worked in the summers. My grandfather spent his whole career there. My great-grandfather worked there. Uh, that mill had had fewer and fewer people employed there uh, and actually just recently closed. So it's a place that's, that its industry had certainly taken a major hit. So a lot of people were very, very hopeful that this could kind of take the place of that. And a lot of the people who had worked in that industry could replace it. So, you know, um, I think my, my you know comments at the time were I don't have a lot of hope, but what's the point in being a pessimist? Let's hope that they do succeed. Um, you know, that was kind of what we were thinking at the time. But, you know, people when, when people tell you who they are, you should believe them. Uh, at, at one point, a, a Russian company with significant sanctions that were being levied upon them was involved in both supplying both raw materials to the plant and also given a significant ownership stake for funding, uh, I think, like $300 million of the plant. Um, that was a weird twist in the story. And eventually, uh, you know, after lots and lots of runaround, uh, lots and lots of committee meetings where Bouchard was expressing a lot of confidence but didn't seem to have a lot of evidence that he was raising much money, Bouchard was forced out of the company for misuse of funds. He sued, and eventually he got $6 million just to su- drop his suit and go away. Um, so, you know, it kind of ended how many people fear that it would. This man basically dropped into Kentucky got $15 million from the legislature and Governor Bevin, uh, took a bunch of pictures with elected officials, didn't do anything, then got $6 million to go away. So uh, definitely a shyster, definitely something that we feared would happen and definitely did. The next CEO of the company recently stepped down, and now a former Bevin administration member is running the company as a search is underway to find a replacement CEO. So that's kind of where we're at with that story now. And also the company changed its name to Unity Aluminum. Brady is the name of one of Craig Bouchard's children, so they didn't want to keep that as, as the name. So there's that. So the reason we're talking about this, though, is that last Friday during an interim committee meeting, the Appropriations and Revenue Committee Chair Chris McDaniel and the whole uh, committee had a lot of folks from Unity testify and really went after them. So this made a bunch of news, and we figured we should catch up to it. So Unity has terms it has to meet in order to avoid the clawback provisions that were actually in that bill passed in 2017. It wasn't just a blank check. There were, you know, clawback provisions. And then the the organization that's actually overseeing it is, you know, overseeing these provisions and making sure they meet their benchmarks is Commonwealth Seed Capital. Commonwealth Seed Capital uh, granted Unity several extensions. I guess at the time it was Brady that received the extensions uh, to meet their fundraising goals. But as of right now, you know, no construction has started on the mill. That's something we got confirmation of on Friday. I do remember, Jasmine, do you remember the the groundbreaking that happened several years ago? Yeah, that's been, what, like three years ago, probably? I think that's probably right. I think it was 2018. Um, There was a great picture of Matt Bevin and Craig Bouchard and little Brady who is, you know, was named after Brady Industries, uh, digging their shovels into the dirt. Um, My mother-in-law actually catered, was part of the catering team for that event. So uh, that was a little funny. Um, But it was very clear that that was just just a sham. Like there was no, that was was all of the ground being broken were those three shovels that went into the ground. I think the only person that's dug a shovel into the ground to build an aluminum mill in Ashland for, for Unity Aluminum was Matt Bevan. So there you go. That's kind of where we're at with that. The original goal back in 2017 was for the mill to be completed this year in 2021. The company 
at, on Friday did say they were, quote, cautiously confident, unquote, about the mill. Um, they, they did say their new projections were that uh, production would start in the back half of 2025, which would be, you know, almost a full decade, like eight years after the bill was passed. So, you know, there were a ton of questions about the fundraising that Unity had been able to do, and they said that they had collected $165 million in, fundra- in financing. So, you know, I guess that's not nothing, and that's definitely more than the $15 million that the state gave them so long ago. Senator McDaniel, the chair of the A&R committee, he asked them at some point to, to you know, pay back the $15 million investment the state had made into them uh, out of that $165 million. But the Brady representatives answering questions kind of demurred on that. Um, you know, they need a billion dollars to start. So $165 million is, you know, 15% of that or whatever. Giving up $15 million probably is not on their list of things to do. So, Anyways, that's that's where they're at. Um, they're cautiously confident, even though they've only raised less than a you know twenty percent of what they need to to actually do uh, the mill. It, it, but they did say that they expected to secure the needed financing by March of 2022, which is just six months from now. So I don't know how they plan to do that. Um, at this point, I just don't think they're going to be able to. I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, that's kind of where we're at, where I'm at with this. Uh, I don't know if, if you're there too. What do you think, Jasmine? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's hard to feel confident considering it's been four years and nothing's happened except ousting their CEO and everything. So Yeah, yeah. I just, what what was that Dr. Seuss story of like the Sneetches when they had like that guy come into town and he like moved, he like basically just swindled everybody, took all their money and left town. That's kind of how I feel about a uh, Craig Bouchard. Get six million bucks for that. I mean, that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that's not money I'm ever going to see. All right. So Senator McDaniel did eventually say he would file a bill in the 2022 session to recoup the state's $15 million investment. Um, I don't know what the bill is going to say. Like the legislature orders to Unity Aluminum to pay $15 million, I, I guess. Um, lots of folks on the committee said they regretted their original vote on the Brady deal. We've heard that from people, lots and lots of Democrats saying they regretted. I think we had, you know, Representative Attica Scott on a, once upon a time, and she said that that was like the worst vote she ever took. So, you know, that there's a lot there. It was very clear from the very start of this whole thing that it was a really bad idea. And honestly, what we're going to, Jasmine, you're going to tell us about this Ford deal here in a second. But I mean, it's one of the reasons I was like, it's a bad idea if you don't know ahead of time what you're getting into when you approve an economic development package. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we're at. What One interesting thread through the, the this whole situation is that there's a lot of like, former Bevin people that are attached to the leadership at Unity Aluminum. And I don't really know if that's because, you know, they want to protect their legacy. Obviously, you know, Matt Bevin was very, very tightly connected to Craig Bouchard, um, was a very big supporter of Brady Industries the entire time he was in office. Um, And so to protect, you know, what's left of Matt Bevin's legacy, like that's the success of this would go a long way to rehabbing that. Um, Maybe it's also the only place that they can get jobs. I mean, obviously Matt Bevin, uh, as a, you know, if you're not able to win the governorship of Kentucky as a Republican, you're you're not in high demand. So I think that you know maybe their job prospects are not are not great. And then lastly, it could just be that they're grifters. Uh, you know, just like Craig Bouchard. I, I don't know. Um, that's something that I've seen quite a bit though as we've gone along. This is a story about how 
bad economic development works. We gave a large chunk of money to an unproven single person with a bad track record in a place that desperately needed help, and he walked away without doing anything. But I think this next story that you're going to tell us, Jasmine, about an established company building something brand new and exciting and big um, might be a different story. So let's talk a little bit about Ford. All right. So during the special session a few weeks ago, the General Assembly overwhelmingly passed a bill that would appropriate $350 million of forgivable loans from the Economic Development Finance Authority, $10.6 million to pay a loan related to a property in Hardin County, and then $50 million for various training grants and programs. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Rocky Adkins came to the legislators during the special session and talked to them about um, the project, but no one knew what it was. And now we know that um, it will be two Ford and SK Innovation, which is a Korean company, will be two plants that will make batteries for electric vehicles. The plants are a $5.8 billion investment and are expected to bring 5,000 full-time jobs to Kentucky. Bashir said that the investment is more than triple any other single investment in the state. Um, so this is a, a really big deal. It's also part of a larger project that's an over $11 billion investment that includes a large campus outside of Memphis that will build electric pickups and advanced batteries. So this is part of a larger project um, that will bring a lot of jobs to both Kentucky and to Tennessee. So Kentucky is offering three incentives for the project. One is the forgivable loan that I mentioned. Two is the conveyance of the property in Hardin County. And third is job training through KCTCS and Bluegrass State Skills Corporation. So this was something that we talked about back with Brady that KCTCS was going to provide like courses for job training and things like that. And it looks like that's something that's going to happen here as well. The plants are set to open in 2025 and 2026. And they're in Glendale in Hardin County, which all I know about Glendale is that's where the restaurant, the whistle stop is. Okay. Do you know about that, Robert? Uh, is that the place that has the really big hot brown or is that somewhere in that might actually be in Jessamine <laughs> County? I don't know. No, I don't know. The whistle stop is it good? that's in Winchester. Oh, um, okay. But no, the whistle stop is known for having like really good like home cooking and really good fried chicken. Um, oh, so that's okay. what I know about Glendale. But that's where the plant is going to where the plants are going to be. And, you know, that's, you know, it's near E-Town, which is a growing area already. Um, it's also, like, not too far from Louisville or Bowling Green. So it, it's, like, a, you know, a central location. It's on 65, um, I think, is, like, a big deal. Yes. And it's also there on the Bluegrass Parkway, which, which gives you easy access to 75 and to 64. So, you know, that's, it's, it's in, uh, it's not in an urban area. It's in a place you can build a big plant like this, but it gives you easy access to a lot of interstates that go a lot of places across the country. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, since the announcement this week, Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, Speaker David Osborne, um, the Republican Party of Kentucky Chair Mac Brown, 
Senator Damon Thayer, they have all praised the project without mentioning Governor Bashir at all. <laughs> Not surprising. <What>? So, <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Yeah, who and and Governor Bashir, of course, was intimately involved in putting this together, which isn't to say that, you know, the Republican leaders weren't also. um, But yeah, they're definitely not into sharing credit. Yeah. Um, And the bill that passed in the special session also has funds for other projects. And Bashir stated this week that the state is potentially looking at four other projects to use those incentives. Um, So I guess that's something that we'll hear about in the future. I just figured I would ask you, Robert, what do you think? will be the impact of these two Ford plants in Kentucky. Yeah, you know, you look at an investment like this, you know, we're putting $350 million. It's not a direct investment like the $15 million. That's a large investment for the state to make, but but a $5.8 billion investment is a huge deal. You think about mm-hmm. 5,000 jobs that are directly um, created. You know, I was looking back, of course, the thing that I think this is the most analogous to is the Toyota plant that went yeah. to Georgetown in the 80s, which, you know, um, the governor's father was pretty intimately, uh, you know, part of that process when he was lieutenant governor. Um, but but that plant originally was designed to have 3,000 jobs attached to it. Nowadays, in the Toyota plant at Georgetown, more than 10,000 people work there. So, you know, if the plan is successful... The 5,000 jobs is really just a start. I mean, if mm-hmm. the plant's successful, they can have more people working there. If electric vehicles, which seem to certainly be the future, you know, take off and we need even more batteries, the places where they already make batteries is the place where they're going to build more batteries so we could add capacity on there. Suppliers of parts could be building places around there. You know, you look up in Michigan. I have family that worked in the automobile industry up in Michigan, but they don't work for the big three. They work for a part supplier. And, you know, their whole family works for the same parts supplier supplier in this in this town and, and you know you have entire like places where the major employer is somebody that supplies a bigger a bigger manufacturer so that's something you could t- certainly start to see um there's lots and lots of ways that this could go right but i mean the thing about all all economic development is it also could go wrong and that's something we want to guard against and, and you know I, i'm happy to to see that like there's a the ford is directly involved in the manufacture of their own batteries so you know one of the things i was really worried about battery manufacturing is of course something that's a very very heavy industry there's a lot of waste produced i don't really i know that there's been a lot of innovations in this space and i don't know much about how uh it's changed but this used to be a really dirty thing to have in your town Um, i'm sure that's a lot better and also having the support of the main company where they're not kind of like shifting away um, the responsibilities of, of cleanup and manufacturing is good news. So I think that mm-hmm. you know we have a responsible entity in Ford and, and the South Korean company that they're partnered with that will will do a good job at least I hope there. Um, so that's that's something to be to be worried about. And, and just one other thing about this, Jasmine, um, this is a home run. Uh, you know, Governor Bashir and, and, you know, and whatever Republicans that were involved in putting this together, this is a big home run that they hit for economic development. But this building, was put together a very, very long time ago. Uh, This building was put together like 20, 30, I don't even know how long ago this building was created with the hope that something would fill it. And, And that was money that we spent that for a building that basically sat empty that we conveyed to the Ford Ford uh, industry uh, to the Ford company to to put something in here much much later. And there are empty spec buildings all over Kentucky. 
uh, with just be- basically begging people to come and, and put something in an industrial park uh, just to have some sort of industry. Um, it's important to realize that home runs are few and far between. It's mm-hmm. great. It's great that this is happening. This is huge news for Kentucky. It's huge news for Memphis. And it's huge news for, uh, you know, for, for Ford. And, and I'm really glad it's going in there. But I think it's also important to realize that most good economic development stories are the stories of the singles and doubles that get hit on the way to hitting the home run. Um, and I certainly hope that we can use this home run to build uh, you know, something where we are able to hit more singles and more doubles. And I also think you know, we don't talk about it on this show, but that's something that Andy Bashir is quite good at. Um, there are a lot of like 200 jobs, 250 jobs, 100 jobs or something that are going in in, in lots of small places across the state. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as you're thinking about economic development, realize that like it's a big, big game um, and, and going after the home run uh, is not always the best thing, but it is good when you actually hit one. So what do you think, Jasmine? What are you thinking about the, the Ford uh, plant going in here and, and how do you think it, it will impact Kentucky moving forward? I mean, I was going to say exactly what you said that it could hopefully be like Georgetown's Toyota plant. And I mean, Georgetown is still seeing a boom from that because, you know, it started as I think you said 3000 jobs grew to 10,000. And I think with our last census, Scott County was like the fastest growing County in the state. Um, So, I mean, Georgetown has really like grown as a city um, since the Toyota plant. And I I think that's probably what's going to happen for like E-Town and Hardin County as well. But yeah, I mean, this, it's really good news. I think it's really good news for Bashir. I don't know if it, how big of a role it might play, um, you know, in his reelection. But like you said, it, it's definitely a home run um, that, you know, Republicans won't give him any credit for certainly, but yeah, I'm, I'm much more hopeful about this. You know, Kentucky has like a longstanding history with Ford, whereas like Brady Industries was just this one guy who didn't have a good history. Yeah. Louisville already has a Ford plant that employs like 10,000 people. So this um, this is a company that we already have a relationship with that is very well established and like isn't going anywhere probably. And it's making something that seems to be the future you know we've lost so much of the coal industry and now we're pivoting to something new yeah that will bring jobs yeah that was one of the things that senator mcgarvey talked about in our interview that this plant will employ more people than are currently underground miners in kentucky that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of a crazy thing to think about i have two other things i wanted to mention about this first of all um I certainly hope uh, Ford and Kentucky, Ford and Kentucky have a longstanding relationship. The Ford assembly plant in Kentucky goes back like, I don't know, like a hundred years or something. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, And and the UAW is heavily involved with the way that Ford operates over there. And I think that they are really a great example of how, you know, a company and, and their union can be a partner. Um, Mm -hmm. and and operating well so i certainly hope that the uaw is involved in this new plant and that these are new these are good union jobs i think that that's really important and i think like another thing is like this kind of goes to show you that right to work is kind of stupid like you know it doesn't really matter the people that are going to come and build these things are good are companies that work closely with unions and i think like 
you know, we didn't need to get rid of workers' protections to attract companies because good companies will come regardless yeah. if you do it right. And, and that's I think a good point. That's something that we should we should think about. And then lastly, uh, the the political impact of this. I I think you're I, I I'm interested to see if you're you're right, Jasmine. I'm interested to see how people give. Andy Bashir credit for this in his reelection. Is mm-hmm. it going to be something that's top of mind? Is you know is E Town uh, gonna gonna you know come out for Andy Bashir? They they may. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Who gets the credit? Who's able to take the credit? There was a zero percent chance that Republicans were going to give Andy Bashir any credit whatsoever. But Andy Bashir does a good job of you know reminding people of what he's done. So I think that I think that it could potentially make a, a, a splash in the 2023 governor's race. Um, we, we will, we will see. I, I mean, a lot can happen between now and then in terms, in terms of the investment that Ford is making and the progress they're making because it has to get built. Those are jobs that aren't even included in that 5,000 number. So, uh, that's probably going to get underway, um, before then I would think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anything else about, about Ford and this, uh, economic development project, Jasmine? No, I think that's it for this week. All right. Yeah, definitely something we're going to be paying attention to going forward. Uh, Before we get to our interview with Morgan McGarvey, I did want to do a COVID update. So, Jasmine, the COVID situation has actually improved pretty substantially over the past week. But our numbers actually still only remain slightly below where we were in the winter when things were really bad. So we're actually down to somewhere between like 32 and 3,600 new cases per day, down from a high of about 4,200 every day. There are four small counties which have moved out of the red zone, which, you know, that's 25 cases per 100,000 population. Um, And while the rest of the state is certainly red, there has been substantial improvement across the state. I I look, I counted them all up on Tuesday, and there's only about 20 counties that are above 100 cases per 100,000 population. And that number was much higher earlier in the month. And there's no counties that have more than 200 cases per 100,000. And there were several uh, a couple weeks ago. The counties with 100 cases are heavily concentrated in southeastern Kentucky and south central Kentucky, which is uh, southeastern Kentucky is where it was before. South central is kind of like the place where the, the pandemic is certainly holding on the most. After a weird two weeks, Louisville is saw a decrease again last week down to 2,600 cases from a high of 3,900 cases at the end of August. But it has been a very strange couple of days for uh, COVID cases in Louisville. Louisville made up 40% of all of the cases in the whole state on Tuesday and made up like 25% of all the cases on Wednesday, which is very unusual and strange, not something that is normal and might be just a data quirk. Nobody has said anything about that. I haven't seen anything from the Louisville Health Department if there was like a testing backlog, but the numbers are so strange and so out of cadence with the rest of the state. Um, I I don't know what's going on there. So next week, we'll probably see another big number from Louisville. And I don't know if we'll have any answers as to what's going on. So yeah, I saw that you tweeted about this. And I think someone responded, guessing that maybe it could have to do with a huge spike in testing because of louder than life. Yeah, that's, that's an idea. Um, I, I, whenever that was first pitched to me, I thought, you know, you had to give a negative test to get in, but I think a vaccine card was good enough. So, um, yeah. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure that that could certainly be it. I do not have testing numbers. Those don't come out every day. Um, but, but that, that could, that could certainly be it. Our testing number 
or no, our positivity ratio is continuing to decline. So we are at uh, just about just a hair over ten percent. So you know the fact that that hasn't increased when when Louisville's cases have you know gone up so high. Hmm, yeah. Um. That that could be a clue. Um. But but I I don't know. I don't I don't have any ideas. Maybe by next week we will. Um. Lexington is is continuing to decrease. Don't know by how much. Got those got those graphs. Um. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the the total number of COVID-19 deaths in Kentucky has been pretty inconsistent. I wrote down here that the 14-day average is, is, is still showing an increase. Today, today's Wednesday, the 29th, was the worst day for COVID deaths in Kentucky uh, so far. I think 82 mm-hmm. people were reported to have died of COVID. Uh, that's, again, um, something you expect to see. After an increase, two weeks after the peak uh, of cases is when you see the peak in deaths. So, you know, I think it was about two weeks ago that we got to the peak. So hopefully we aren't going to go up from here. But it is something we we have yet to see. Um, You know, obviously, the death reporting doesn't follow the same as the case reporting because they have to confirm that the deaths were from COVID. So it's a little bit different. So we we may see an increase still. Um, Yeah. Uh, you know, there's going to be a high number of deaths for a while going forward, which is is always very tragic and, and you know, very, very scary. Louisville was back down to 14 deaths last week. Uh, and if the city stays stable at that rate and doesn't increase beyond the 34 deaths that we saw last week, I think it, we can start to say that Louisville's high vaccination rate did stave off an, a significant number of deaths. Even though we did almost get back to our winter peak in terms of cases, we did not. I mean, if, if things continue the way that they're going, we can say that we did not reach the same level of death, which that's that's good. That's what you want to see. We don't have the same level of granular data in the dashboard for other counties with high vaccination rates, but I'll try to look into the raw data to see if we see this uh, repeated in other high vaccinated counties where their cases might have gone up, but their deaths stayed pretty stable or stayed pretty low. The number of hospitalizations is declining, but not nearly at the rate that cases have decreased. We are down to about 2,300 inpatient COVID cases. We had a high of about 2,600 COVID cases. Hospitalizations are kind of a unique metric. We talk about how deaths are a lagging metric and that the positivity rate is a leading metric. Um, Hospitalizations are like sort of a lagging indicator. So you think about this, like death's obviously the last thing that happens. It happens long after you actually get sick. People go into the hospital before they die, um, but after they get sick. So it's a lagging indicator, but only slightly. Um, often people stay in the hospital for days or weeks before dying. So hopefully, you know, hospitalizations will continue to decrease and the rate of decrease will eventually catch up with the, uh, rate that create that cases seem to be decreasing soon. Vaccinations, uh, continue to slow down. Uh, we are at about 5,000 new vaccinations per day. We were at a pretty sustained high for several weeks of about 7,500 per day. However, uh, you know, vaccinations are cumulative. You can't, you know, uh, unless we can, uh, some people are getting their booster, but they don't count twice in the vaccination metrics. About 60% of Kentuckians have at least one shot of the vaccine. 52% uh, have been fully vaccinated. That's nowhere near good enough, but you know, we are still making progress and any new person that gets the vaccine is getting getting us a little bit closer to to putting COVID-19 in the rear view mirror. Some counties are, of course, doing much better than others when it comes to vaccinations. Franklin and Woodford are neck and neck for the most vaccinated county in the state. They're both at 77% vaccinated. That's really good. Um, Fayette, Campbell, and Boone are all above 70%, and Jefferson is very, very close with about 68% vaccinated. 
According to the CDC, Kentucky now has 48 counties with at least a 50% vaccination rate, which is, you know, of course, the best uh, since the pandemic started. It doesn't, uh, doesn't go down. The numbers don't go down. So COVID does appear to be improving in Kentucky, but we are not guaranteed to continue to decrease. Now is definitely not a good time to stop doing what you're doing to stop the spread. So if you're, you know, wearing your mask, keep doing that. If you haven't been wearing a mask, you should think about starting. Um, uh, you know, do your best to uh, take precautions when you're going to be around unvaccinated people. If you're going out into a crowd, just make sure to do the best you can to be safe. Try to avoid doing that as much as you can. And, you know, it is still among the worst times for COVID in the state. You know, but if we continue to do what we're doing, I think it will continue to get better. All right, Jasmine. Uh, any any other COVID anecdotes for us this week? I've scheduled my Pfizer booster. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's because you're going to. Yeah, you you have a job. Yeah, I'm past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm past six months since my second shot, and you know I do go to the jail and the courthouse from time to time. And so I'm going to be getting a booster in a few weeks. Nice. Yeah, Moderna gang, we don't need our boosters because that, that shot's so potent. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's good to hear. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people with Pfizer um, who have jobs like that. My, you know, my mom actually, you know, she has um, a medical condition that allowed her to get a third shot early. So she's gotten hers. A lot of my elderly, uh, older people in my family have gotten the third shot. So, you know, good, good for that. Um, there was, you know, it's kind of wild. We're at this point where we're like, maybe things are starting to get better, but it is true that we're at one of the worst parts of the pandemic. And there are small outbreaks that are happening all over the place. And we had a family member that, um, you know, had been being very, very careful and, and being very great with masks, getting a vaccine as soon as they could, uh, that came down with COVID and has been having mm-hmm. a rough time with it. You know, I, I don't think they're going to have to go to the hospital or anything. Um, but it is just, you know, it's a tough disease. And even if you, you know, even if you don't die and even if you don't have to, you, go, you know, go on a ventilator or go to the hospital at all it's really uncomfortable and it makes you you know it's it's being really sick for quite a while uh so you know it's not good um and and, you know i've been reminded of that quite a bit as as this person's been dealing with covid uh quite a bit um you know in the past couple days uh, about a week since they they came down with it so best elected them and just be just be as careful as you can so there you go that's covid all right uh let's get to our interview with morgan mcgarvey Morgan McGarvey is the leader of the Kentucky Senate Democrats and represents parts of Jefferson County, including Germantown, Camp Taylor, the Highlands, Okalona, and others. He became the leader of the Senate Democrats in 2019, and earlier this year, the Kentucky Senate Democrats started a TikTok account that has become extremely popular. So, Senator Morgan McGarvey, welcome back to my old Kentucky podcast. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're very happy to have you back. Now, customarily, we ask questions to the guest. That seems normal. But Jasmine, I wanted to ask you before we get started, how many of the memes on the Kentucky Senate Democrats account do you understand without having to look them up? All but one of them. I had to look up Rick and Morty. All right. Well, you're doing way better than me. (laughs) That one was a little weird. But whatever, what the kids are into. So Senator McGarvey, yeah, before we get started to talk about legislative business, we did want to talk a little bit about your TikTok thing. So first, like, how did this idea happen? Why did you guys decide to get a TikTok? And what was your perception of the platform like before the account got started? Yeah, you know, this is something that I'm going to, I'm going to both age myself a little bit and, you know, say that I was onto it early. We've been hearing about TikTok for years because of the age of our babysitters. 
Right. And so, you know, when you have teenage girls coming in the house and they talk about TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. So, you know, we would actually watch some. I remember even during the pandemic, like doing a few of the sort of TikTok challenges with the kids obviously the very g-rated tiktok challenges uh with the kids and so you know it was something i was interested in like i said every young person i talked to was talking about tiktok right and so we just said let's try this out we haven't seen anybody really use this successfully in politics uh let's try it out let's try it out kind of idea i had my communications director was really really supportive of micah golf who's a great guy and so when we were looking around this summer after the session got out, we hired an intern, Piper Burke, uh, who's a senior in college now. She's, she's no longer in Louisville. Uh, she went back to school. and But her resume was entirely in social media. And so we said, all right, you know what? That's what we're looking for. Um, you've worked in, in TikTok and, and Instagram and these things before. We're looking to bolster our presence online uh, because, you know, Honestly, free media, uh, like social media, is easier for us to get sometimes than the earned media. So let's try it. And we launched it uh, starting in late June, and it, it took off immediately. Yeah, it sure did. Uh, I remember <laughs> when I heard about it for the first time, I was like, oh, that sounds fun. And then I looked, and some of your videos had like a million views or something, <laughs> which is pretty intense. That's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of people watching Senator Reggie Thomas do the Rick and Morty rap uh, in front of the Senate. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, with all social media, I think there's there's always kind of a, a balance you have to strike between like connecting the fun social media piece or like the TikTok memes or dances to the actual issues, you know, facing the legislature. So tell us about how you both strike that balance. And, you know, uh, if you think you're, you're getting that right in your account. Yeah, I mean, some of it is by trial and error because there really isn't a template to follow, right? There's not uh, a TikTok influencer on on a political level really to say, okay, this is what they're doing, this is what it works. So, you know, I think our our ultimate goal was to show that we understand what the platform is and that we're trying to have fun with it, uh, not just you know, uh, not try to be something we're not, not try to act like like something else, but just have fun with it go with what TikTok is for. But then once you kind of build up that trust that we understand it, also get a little bit of our messaging in. And I think we've been successful doing that. And so we've talked about legalizing marijuana. We've talked about climate change. We've talked about raising the minimum wage. Um, we've talked about universal pre-K. We've talked about you know um, equity and, and gender issues on TikTok. But we've done it in a way that I think you know doesn't turn people off um, to what we're doing. It's not preachy. It's still in a fun way in the spirit of what TikTok is. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, I don't know the platform super well, but uh, yeah, I think it does It does that pretty well, I think. So that's, that's good. Um, so, you know, you are one of the younger members of the Kentucky Senate Democratic Caucus. Uh, and, and, you know, I, in a lot of the videos, it is like, you know, Senator Yates, I've seen get really into some of the videos. It seems like Senator Thomas is just game for anything, but tell us a little bit about some of the older members of the caucus and, and what they think about the wild success of the TikTok account. Yeah, they like it right on. Uh, we've done a couple with, with multiple members of the caucus, you know, Senator Neal, uh, who's the longest serving member in the Senate, has been in a couple of the videos. What I think it took at first was, like I said, you know, we kind of came up with the idea and I had to kind of put myself out there first, 
right? Show them that this is okay. You know, you might not understand everything first. So like Robert, like you, like you were asking Jasmine, how many of the memes did you understand? I'll admit, I've got a lot of members who don't understand why they're doing the things they do. <laughs> 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 but, but they're really good sports about it. And I, I think they see the potential in it, right? You know, I'm not claiming this is going to win us back the Senate in 2022 or that even, you know, this is this is the answer for us in politics. But I think it's it's a way for us to reach a completely different audience than who we've been talking to. It's a way to engage young voters, which is really important to me and to my caucus as as Democrats to be talking to younger voters. And it's also just fun, right? You know, you get on Facebook and you feel like it gets preachy and pretty serious. And, you know, Instagram is into everybody's on Instagram too. And then of course you've got sort of Twitter for all that it is um, positive and negative uh, that you've got to wade into there. And TikTok really is the one where you can go in there and you can do a funny dance or a funny sound, be lighthearted, still get across your message uh, and have a little fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it does it is very clear that everybody is having a good time. Uh, and that's that's, I think, really important. But I did want to ask about one of the things you actually just brought up, which is, you know, that social media success doesn't always equate to, you know, success outside of social media. And so I am interested, you know, you said you're there to have fun, uh, to put yourself in front of a new audience. And those are great. But but is there a way that you can capitalize on the TikTok account and, and have that translate to, to more seats or better fundraising or, or whatever else? Yeah, how about this for a bad answer? Maybe. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe. Um, and, and just because it's new, again, no one has really done this before. Um, and it's hard to see the metrics from TikTok. Right. So you can see the views, you can see the likes, you can see the comments. And I'm constantly amazed. And we have several videos with over. We've got many more videos in the hundreds of thousands of views, over half a million views, even. Are those eligible voters? Are they Kentucky voters? Uh, are they people who who are engaged in the elective process? Or is it just people who are on TikTok and want to have fun? Um, you know, I think that remains to be seen, but you know, when we started this, what I told my staff, our, our intern and our communications director is, you cannot fail, right? Our caucus is, is smaller than obviously any of us would like for it to be. This is something new we're going to try. And if it doesn't work, okay, it doesn't work. But if we are able to do this, then, then we can get our message out there. We can, you know, show people that, that we're serious about the work, but we want to have fun and again, you know, uh, reach a potentially new audience. I am shocked at the number of both kids and adults that all of a sudden recognize us from TikTok. And people I would have never guessed who were on TikTok. I had someone, <laughs> I, I had a, a dad who's an empty nester, to give you an idea of their age, text message me one of our TikToks today. Right, just out of the blue to say, my kids sent this to me from college. I think it's awesome. Um, now he's on TikTok, right? So, what does it translate into? 
let's see. But I, we, I don't think it was something we could fail at doing it unless we just didn't get the spirit of the medium. Um, <laughs> we're getting our word out there. We're, we're, we're getting our message out there and we are reaching new people. Yeah, I definitely have had a lot of fun following the account. And I don't even think that like we realized how big it was. I noticed one day that you had views in the millions and told Robert and he didn't realize that it was that popular, I don't think. So it's been crazy to watch it blow up. Yeah, it's 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 been great. And you know, I hope it gives other Democrats uh now there maybe there is a little bit of a template to follow, right? I mean yeah. we started we started this on June thirtieth. So I say late June, like really our first one we posted on June thirtieth. And we already have hundred and twenty five thousand followers on TikTok. You know, we've we've got three and a half million likes of our TikTok mm-hmm. page in three months. Um, so, you know, those are pretty astounding numbers when you compare them to anyone else's social media in the Kentucky legislature. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, the last question I'll ask about TikTok is, do you think that Jasmine and I should start a My Old Kentucky podcast TikTok? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, but just and just have fun with it. I think that's that's the most important thing. If if you have fun with it, there's things that you want to do, and there's there's things you enjoy doing on it. And you just, I mean, the great thing about TikTok is don't take yourself too seriously, right? Um, you can you can have fun, get a good message out there, and um, enjoy it. Yeah, I think the hardest part for us would be just figuring out how to use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I would say it, it helped having a couple of college yeah. kids around this summer, certainly showing it. And I mean, like the first time I felt a little bit old, right? But, you know, once you once you get into it, it is, I mean, it is kind of addictive and you can find yourself scrolling through your For You page and it's it's pretty easy to pick up on the trends and that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, switching gears from your TikTok fame, um, Kentucky Senate Democratic Caucus is down to eight members. You already mentioned, you know, that the caucus is much smaller than you want it to be. And the ability to influence legislation is really hard with that small of a caucus. Um, In the recent special session, were Senate Democrats able to impact the legislative process in any meaningful ways? Yeah, there there was a lot of discussion that went into the special session. And, you know, this is where uh, even though we don't have as many members as we'd like, having the governor's office is important because only the governor could call a special session. Uh, so, you know, we did have some input on the front end. Uh, I'm still, I'm not happy that repealing KDE's regulation on, on masks made mm-hmm. it into the special session. I don't think that should have gotten into the special session. But honestly, I think the Republicans were more scared of their own members than ours. Um you know, because the reality is with their super majorities, anything we amend, they can and will defeat. Right. But I think they were more concerned about the amendments put on by their own members and how to keep those off because they went even further than the legislation we passed. And, mm-hmm. and some of the amendments offered by Republicans wanted to prohibit businesses from requiring vaccines or prohibit businesses or schools from allowing or requiring masks. Um, and so, you know, I think they were trying to get through a session without damaging themselves. Um, and they were more worried about the Republicans than the Democrats. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, well, you know, 
it's already almost October. And so the 2022 legislative session is right around the corner. And, you know, last session, there was a decent amount of cooperation between the two parties on some key issues. Are there any issues which the two parties are working together on for this upcoming session? Yeah, one right now that that we're working on is the name, image, and likeness bill that you hear so Mm -hmm. much about in college athletics. So college football season right now, college basketball season's right around the corner. Kentucky's got to get that right. Uh, The governor's executive order was a really good and important first step uh, for NCAA NCAA athletes having some control over their name, image, and likeness. But we need to come in and make that the law in Kentucky and make sure that we're taking the best practices from all around the country and, you know, hopefully even adopt legislation that could become model legislation for other places. I wanted to ask about, you know, one issue that's had some, a couple issues that have had bipartisan support have been medical marijuana and sports betting. And, but the problem seems to be that because the majority of the Republican caucus isn't for it, they're not going to bring these things up for a vote. Do you, do you see any, progression towards medical marijuana or sports betting for 2022? Yes, but I mean, why haven't we done it already? You know, both of those are half measures. We should have, we should legalize marijuana and we should allow for full gaming in Kentucky. So uh, both of those, in my opinion, are half measures and Mm -hmm. we still haven't passed them yet. Uh, You know, but you brought up a good point, Jasmine. I think a lot of people don't recognize this. In order for a bill to come to a vote on the floor, the typical rule in Frankfurt from the majority is that it has to have a majority of the majority supporting it Mm -hmm. before the full body can consider it. And so that's one of the ways that being in the majority is really powerful. They control the flow of legislation. And, you know, in an election year, I don't know that a majority of the Republican senators want to take a vote on medical marijuana. Yeah. I, I, I hope they do. I mean, it's, it's long overdue. And again, we, we should legalize it, but it's, uh, we'll have to see if they're willing to take a vote on medical marijuana. And if they are willing to take a vote on medical marijuana, are they also willing to take a vote on sports gaming in the same session? Um, which is just, it's ridiculous that in the horse racing capital of the world, we're having a debate mm-hmm. on sports betting, but that's where we are. Yeah. And, you know, of course, the Republican supermajority spends most of the time passing its own bills. Um, are there any issues that you are particularly worried about that you expect to be a priority in the next session? Yeah, uh, several, in fact, because remember, a couple of things going on. First of all, it's an election year. So that really does play into... I think the calculus of what bills we will consider. So look around the country at what's going on right now. Um, You see what happened in Texas and Missouri and some of these other states uh, with reproductive freedom. Um, I worry about the abortion bills that'll be brought up by the Republican majority in in this election year. Uh, I think that you're probably looking at some other type of really hot button social issues, um, such as potentially discriminatory legislation against the LGBTQ plus community. whether it's a bathroom bill, whether it's uh, athletes in in high school sports. uh, I think we could see something like that, whether it's some type of medical care like you just saw recently in Tennessee. uh, I think we could see a bill like that. Um, And of course, you know, it seems like every election year they want to go back to something 
involving guns or, or some other social issue. So I, I look for those hot button issues to be there. And that's on top of the fact that this is a year where we typically do redistricting, um, which is going to be, I think, a really a difficult process. The you know there is a, we talk about we've talked about our membership being small. There are problems with having your membership be too large. And look at where the state has lost population. We've lost population in the far eastern and far western parts of the state. We've typically gained population in the more urban parts of the state, whether it's Louisville or Lexington or, or you know Scott County, Northern mm-hmm. Kentucky, um, or or even you know Warren County down down around Bowling Green. So. That's where we've picked up population. We know where we've lost it. And, you know, there's a the areas where we've lost it are Republican areas right now. They're Republican controlled areas by and large. Um, and so, you know, that that's gonna be a difficult process for them to navigate, particularly in the House, with you know, a whole bunch of new members. I think I've got twenty-one members who are gonna run for re-election for the first time, not to mention how many of the members um, got elected in twenty sixteen or later. So you don't have a lot of long tenured legislators down in the house right now. Yeah. And then throw on top of the hot button social issues in an election year, throw on top of redistricting. It's a budget year. (laughs) And it's a budget year where we have a good problem. Uh, We're going to have some money to spend. We have a huge surplus in the rainy day fund right now. We also get uh, that second sort of tranche of money from the American Rescue Plan Act. And potentially, uh, if the Democrats in Washington do what I hope they will do and, and pass um, the bills right now on, on budget and stimulus, then the state could have some some more money to help out Kentuckians w- with some really good and and helpful initiatives. So, uh, you know, you've got a, a budget redistricting and an election year all going on at the same time. Um, I, I think it's yeah, it's going to be an interesting session. We will definitely have plenty to talk about. So that's for sure. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, I did actually want to talk to you about redistricting. And and it is kind of, you know, obviously it's a year to do it, uh, I guess. Uh, we, we waited until 2014, I think, last time. Um, but, you know, whenever you're looking at a lot of these new maps that have been proposed across the country, they all have, like, the Democratic map and the Republican map, and then that kicks off, like, a whole negotiation, kind of no matter what the partisan makeup is of the state. Um, so I am curious, you know, as the leader of the Democratic Party and the Kentucky Senate has – anybody on the other side like come to you for input are you guys working on your map what is that how is that process likely to play out and are democrats likely to be involved at any level in kentucky this year we are creating our own map right now and and we're working on that and in fact i have a a weekly call about redistricting uh right now with the the house democratic leader where we're talking about our strategy for redistricting so we're definitely going to make our voices heard because uh, we want fair maps is what we want. And I just say that a fair map would probably keep a Republican majority right now. Um, not probably. I think it would keep a fair a Republican majority right now if you just look at the the numbers across the state. But you know let's let's not gerrymander this map. And we want to make sure it's done correctly because you know this is the first time, at least in my lifetime, that the Republicans have controlled the redistricting process completely. They have drawn the Senate maps. The last time the Democrats drew the Senate maps was in 1992. Uh, So it's been a good long time since Democrats drew a Senate map. But uh, the Democrats in the House drew the maps that we're under right now. And so this is the first time that the Republicans have had their shot at, at drafting the maps in the House. I'd like to see them drawn for districts, for continuity, for fairness. 
um, you know, not just for, for political gain or individual members. Um, but you know, let, let's make sure they meet constitutional scrutiny. Let's make sure they don't disenfranchise any communities or any voters. Um, and, and hopefully we come out with a, with a fair process. Yeah, I think it would be great if we had less than what, what like 40% of the Senate seats touch Jefferson County in some form or fashion. It'd be great to be able to avoid that situation. Uh, yeah, in fact, 10 of the 38 senators represent part of Jefferson County. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that that's too much. Right. Yeah. Uh, whenever people talk about, you know, how bad the House map was gerrymandered by Greg Stumbor or whatever, I'm like, well, you go look at the Senate map. Right. Um, well, yeah. you did mention earlier that uh, the Democrats, you know, we've talked about this, eight seats. Um, and, you know, the maps are changing. But, you know, and also you mentioned it's an election year. And that's obviously something else that weighs heavy on your mind. So, you know, what just in broad strokes, what what is the the election strategy for Democrats? Uh, you know, we've been through a couple of elections with kind of the new alignment, very Republican state, very Republican legislature. Has anything changed uh, that you've learned from 2016 or 2018 or 2020 um, that will impact your election strategy going into 2022? So double digits uh, might be on the horizon. One thing is I would love for Democrats in our state and across the country to start recognizing the importance of legislative races. The Republicans did this a long time ago, and you see what's happened, right? This is important for several reasons. One, you can call the state legislature whatever you want, but you can't call it a do-nothing legislature. State legislatures really are the labs where policy is being created and implemented. Um, you know, With the exception of a couple of uh, tax cut under the Trump administration, the American Rescue Plan Act under the Biden administration, you know, Obamacare, there's some big initiatives, but you, you can't name a lot of the day-to-day policies in federal government. But we can sit here and rattle off tons of state policies that have a real and meaningful impact on the daily lives of Kentuckians. And so uh, I think we got to get more people focused because more people are focused and they're willing to give their, their time, talent, and treasure uh, towards legislative races, not just towards uh, the federal races, right, that, that we see all the time. And so I'd love to see that. Uh, I hope that the Democrats can continue having more of a coordinated strategy from the top of the ticket to the bottom of the ticket, finding where we have those synergies, finding where there are areas where we know that we need to drive out the vote, making sure we have good candidates in all those areas, uh, not letting races go unchallenged and, and recruiting and course, it's easier to recruit when, when people know that, that there will be the, the resources and energy there behind them to, to back them when they get in a race. So I think we're going to focus on all that. And then we're also going to be really focused on um, reaching out to new voters. Uh, that's part of, the, you know, part of the, the purpose of the TikTok account, right, is that we are reaching out and finding new people. Um, and, you know, that I hope that our, our message is, is, is one we can focus on, too, and, and try to cut through some of the hot-button social political issues that we've talked about and show that, I mean, the Republicans have been in complete control now for several years. And what is the plan for governing Kentucky? What kind of plan do they have to help you sitting in your house right now? What kind of plan is it, I say, to help you to help us? Um, to make sure that our kids get the quality education they deserve, they have the opportunities they have, that they have the ability to come back here and get a job. What's their plan? Um, because we have a plan, and it is focused on education, and it is focused on healthcare, and it is focused on not just jobs of today, but the jobs of tomorrow. Like you saw with the governor yesterday announcing that huge announcement with Ford putting a $5.6 billion investment in Kentucky, 5,000 new jobs, but those jobs are making batteries for cars that have no emissions, right? And so it's really, you know, 
we want to talk about those things. You know, the fact that that Ford plant is going to have um, more employees at it than there are underground miners in Kentucky right now. That we're looking for, we're looking prospectively. And we're talking about things that government can and should do to help all of us have a better future. All right. Last but not least, how can people reach out to you to help with the legislative session or to help elect more Senate Democrats? Oh, my gosh. This is my favorite question. <laughs> um, you know, call me. Um, text me. <laughs> right? Email me. Stop me in the grocery store. Uh, stop me when I'm, I'm walking or, or riding bikes or running after a child, as Robert has seen in the neighborhood from time to time. Um, you know, please. You know, I, I think that Never underestimate the power you have and the power of your voice. Uh, I was just talking to somebody today who wants to run for office, um, and and they were saying, you know, well, well, how do I how do I get in touch with someone? And it was all I could do to keep from saying, well, you should call or email them, right? Um, this is how you this is how you do it. And and if you're sitting at home and you've got a great idea and you're saying, well, I just wish they would do this, call and tell us. Right, it's that we might not have thought about it, uh, or we might have thought about it, and we have a reason why we can't do it. But debating it with you is exactly what we need to either go that way or or agree that we we're on the right track. Right. Um, so, I mean, please reach out to all of your elected representatives and get familiar with people on the party level and on the precinct level. Uh, the Democratic Party just went through a reorganization, which is really important. Um, you know, we we are the party that can get out and knock on doors. We are the party that can stand up and say. You know, if you care about our future, uh, if you care about a quality public education, uh, if you believe that everybody deserves health care, um, if you believe <laughs> that climate change is an immediate and existential threat to our planet, uh, let's talk. Have you voted? Um, you know, your voice matters. And, and, and there are so many ways you can get involved, whether it is calling voters, whether it's putting stuff on social media, whether it's knocking on doors, whether it's suggesting campaign strategy, um, whether it's even making, you know, I say a small donation, a small donation, a couple of bucks, right? Uh, if everybody chips in a couple of bucks and that adds up, and, and I'm one of those people who doesn't believe money is the most important thing in politics, but I do believe whatever you think is the most important thing in politics costs money. Um, so, you know, you've, you, there has to be a threshold amount and, you know, you, you can help the people you believe in get there. And so, uh, yes, call us, email us, text us, stop us, um, come see us, come meet with us. You know, those of us in the state legislature, uh, we aren't in session right now. Meet with us. Um, we live where you do. Uh, so please, please, please reach out. Be one of the people who reaches out to us and gets involved. Yeah, well, that's great advice. Uh, and yeah, uh, I think maybe a TikTok DM would also work. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and anyways, uh, Senator Morgan McGarvey, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate you being on today. Oh, guys, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to to listening to the next one that doesn't have me on it. <laughs> <laughs> Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can go to linktree.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And that's where you can find links to our show, our newsletter that comes out on Friday mornings and our Patreon. And you can listen to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice. And last but not least, we are part of the Demcast network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week.